Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Home Abstract and Title Company was founded in 1867 and is the oldest company still operating in McLennan County. Home Abstract is comprised of a team of honest, friendly, hardworking professionals dedicated to providing both commercial and residential real estate clients with the highest level of communication and service. Their team is committed to working hard and building and maintaining strong relationships because transactions are so much more than just deals. They are clients deserving of the courtesy, care and respect that Home Abstract and Title Company is known for. Visit Home Abstract and Title Company at homeabstract.com. Cross the Brazos and Waco. Ride hard that I'll make it by dawn. Cross the Brazos and Waco. I'm safe when I reach San all right, welcome back to the Waco History Podcast. We are deep into the Crossroads series uh, that Rick has been helping me with. Rick, welcome yeah. back. Stephen, what what number is this? I'm, I'm Yeah, it depends on how you count them. It's best okay. not to, but I, I would just say we're somewhere in the middle. Uh, we're not at the beginning, and we're definitely not at the end. We're somewhere in the middle. We're at a crossroads, kind of? Yeah, we're, we, we're at a crossroads and crossroads, and the bridge may or may not be out. Um all right. But uh, we've been bringing in guests to help us, and today we're talking about Waco as Crossroads of Commerce. And so would you introduce our guest for us? Yes, I'd like to introduce Chris Collins. She is Vice President at the Greater Waco Chamber of Commerce and in charge of economic development. Chris, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. Yeah. Well, t- tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump into to, to this Crossroads episode on the economics of, of Greatest Waco. fears. Uh, no, no. Yeah. Let's just, uh, yeah, uh, you grew up here in Waco. Yeah. So um, moved to Waco in the early 90s, went to Conley High School, graduated in 96, uh, left and went to University of Texas and had a really good time in Austin for a while and um, ended up marrying a Waco boy. Came back to uh, to the community at the end of 2004, started working at the chamber in 2005. And so in May, I will celebrate my 18th anniversary of working at the chamber. Yeah. So so describe what your job is. So my job. Yeah. My job in economic development. uh, Nobody nobody picks economic development as a (laughs) career choice. Everybody falls into it. Uh, I had the opportunity after I graduated from college to work for the city of Round Rock and was exposed to economic development by working with the mayor and uh, seeing the relationship that that city had with their chamber of commerce uh, Mm -hmm. to help attract new industry. And so when my husband and I decided to move back to Waco, I was thinking about where my path would go. And uh, I was at a crossroads uh, of where good, I would go. Good use. Yes. Yeah, I wish we had a sounder uh, <laughs> that we could put in there for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I really I enjoyed learning about uh, that. And uh, there was an opportunity available at the Chamber of Commerce. And mm-hmm. uh, so what economic development is about is about creating opportunity and prosperity for all. 
It's about creating commerce within the community, creating opportunities for employment and wealth so that everyone benefits from growth. And so um, my job and my partners uh, within the organization, we work together to uh, attract new industrial business to the community, uh, which has a spinoff effect to help create additional commerce within the community, new jobs all the way around, and hopefully everybody, the the, the boat lifts. Mm, everyone. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So, so I think I've heard you use the term, it's primary sector. Correct. You're, you're looking for primary sector uh, employers. <clears throat> Not that you're against the secondary and tertiary, but, you know, retail, stuff like that, that that usually comes if you have a large amount of primary. Yes. So diving into the weeds of it a little bit, um, primary sector jobs create new, new dollars into the community. Mm -hmm. So you have a a manufacturer that is making a product, that product ships out and it's generating new dollars into the community that didn't exist before. Those dollars are then paid to employees, uh, to, Mm -hmm. um, to other businesses for services. And so you're, you're recirculating into the secondary economy. Um, but we want to bring new money in that then benefits other, other creates more of a ripple effect. And and actually, as we get into our story on Waco, I think that's good to know. It's good to understand Mm -hmm. how the economy of Waco grew and was able to, um, um, to, to, to do that using primary and secondary and all that stuff. So, uh, thanks for that background. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Um, so, so let's dive in uh, let's think about, um, the journey of Waco, it, its economic journey through history. Uh, but, but first we kind of have to look at Texas as a whole. Mm-hmm. And today Texas is, if you looked at our economy today, we're, we're one of the ninth largest economies in the world, yes. <laughs> right? Yeah, when we succeed, right. uh, <laughs> it'll be the ninth largest that's, that's economy. That's a different podcast. Okay. Totally different podcast. Um, yeah, so uh, if if you think about you know about the time Waco came online in, in you know eighteen fifty ish right when McLean County was was founded, uh, you, you know there's that's their dead start right they're starting with nothing there's no economy really there's a little bit of trading going on at Tory's Trading Post mm-hmm. or maybe a little bit of ag with a few of the early settlers but um, and then you know Texas as a whole is is still is still moving in fact. Uh, uh, an interesting stat I pulled was in 1850, there were just 212,000 people in all of Texas. Yeah. So that's less than the population of Waco today. And they're competing. The The East Coast uh, states had a huge head start. Mm-hmm. New York had over 3 million people. Yeah. So, you know, you got the little old backwater uh, Texas you know, that's, that's starting out as a state having to compete with, um, these other states back East that have been around for hundreds of years in some cases. Mm-hmm. Well, I love your show note here that it's the 2000 census when in Texas actually passes New York in total population of 20 million, which is really interesting. So what's going on this whole time period we're going to be looking at is that, is that slow plot process of Texas growing and right. Of course, eventually New York shrinking a little bit. Well, and, and population's not, you know, a completely accurate correlation mm-hmm. to, to economic activity, but it's a pretty close one, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to think about um, how much of a head start they had and how long it took Texas to overcome that, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found it interesting because, I mean, obviously I lived through that time and I'm, 
in, in wait, my wait, 2023. This, this was 1850 <laughs> no, no, no. to 2000. I'm going back to, to the, the point of us surpassing New York, oh, okay, which yeah. was in my lifetime in, okay. in, the, in the 2000 census. And sitting here in the from the perspective of 2023, I've, I'm almost thinking, oh, we've never been smaller than New York. We're Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but pretty that, remarkable. That's how it played out. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're right, though, Rick. I mean, really, the story of kind of economic development and, of course, Chris, we're doing this, you know, Waco is Crossroads is kind of what we've been thinking about and talked about Waco's Crossroads in a lot of different ways. If we think about primary drivers, that was really good that you kind of framed that for us uh, because that's what we're talking about, right? What were the big engines of the economy over time in Waco's Crossroads? It's really a post-Civil War story where that kicks off, right? Right, right. And, you know, a couple other um, points I'd make about the the Texas economy, kind of framing the development of Texas. Galveston was the largest city in Texas uh, up until 1890. And, and you think about that. It was the port city for Texas. Everything came through Galveston. Mm-hmm. You go to it now, you visit it. It's a beautiful place with a bunch of old buildings and museums, but you don't think of it as a powerhouse. Yeah. But it was the powerhouse of Texas until San Antonio took it over. And then San Antonio held that role until the uh, 30s when Houston finally took it over and remains the largest city today. Mm-hmm. Which is an era you lived through as well. Uh, so Houston becoming the largest city in Texas. I've been in Houston, yeah. and I'm glad I'm in Waco. Let me just say that. <laughs> well, if, if, we, if we look at, say, you know, the 19th, early 20th century as a series of booms, maybe framing it, that way, where would we start, Rick? Okay, so um, there were basically, basically up until, um, you know, the modern economy, let's say after 2000, Texas was really driven by four areas that, that boomed and bust uh, at different times. So cattle was one of them. So we think about how, how was Waco positioned for that one? Well, we we were part of the Chisholm Trail. Um, and, and remember early the early cattle economy was, hey, let's go round up some of those free cows Mm -hmm. out in the range and drive them somewhere and sell them for a profit. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that also included uh, not just cattle, but, you know, the bison, they they provided um, uh, economic uh, output for uh, early settlers because they could sell those hides. They could sell those bones eventually for fertilizer. Um, It was kind of a free resource as well as other hides that we talked about like with the uh, Indians trading with the Tory Trading Company and and what all that, um, what all that drove in that early kind of frontier economy. Uh, cotton was the other big one. Yeah, but I think of those really differently, right? I mean, cattle. I mean, you know, you've got cattle coming through on the Chisholm Trail, but as far as how much capital that's really creating here locally, it had to be fairly limited. Uh, you, you know, you, well, it, yeah. right. we don't have exact yeah. numbers, but, but because we were a crossroads, because we had one of the few crossings on the Brazos river for them to get up and over. Now, mm-hmm. of course they could come through and if it was drier. They would not cross maybe necessarily across the bridge, but they would come near Waco and they would come into Waco and spend their money. Right. Leisure is a big part of our, um, our tourism is a big part of our economy now in Waco. Um, which has been a change in more recent times. But I think then it was, mm-hmm. you know, this business tourism of the, the cattle drives. Um, 
and it'll be interesting. We'll look in a minute, maybe some of the businesses that were in Waco then that, that, uh, that catered to, mm-hmm. to those folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really that lasted from what, you know, 1860s, uh, to the early 1900s. I mean, there's still cattle today, but as far as being a, a I've seen a boom, cattle. Yeah. I've, yeah. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but I mean, that you, this period of, of drives is really over by the 1880s. And so, you yeah. know, I mean, it remains an industry, but, but not the boom, I guess, is the word we're right. using. Right. Not right. the boom right. that right. it was. Right. And I'm going to save cotton because we'll talk about it more in depth. Mm-hmm. Lumber was another big one. We didn't, um, you know, looking at the Waco area, uh, I mean, obviously we're not, we don't have the forests of East Texas. That's really where a lot of that came out of. There was some, some forest around here that got, um, used for local, you know, usage. But I think a, a big opportunity came when William Cameron located his headquarters here in, in Waco. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a good story. We we can get into that a little more in a minute. But we did we did see some of the benefit of that lumber economy. Um, and then an, I think another one to frame, just from a Texas standpoint, which goes without saying, was oil. Right. So er, in the late uh, or early 1900s, the very end of the 1800s, they started finding oil uh, and gas in in Texas. Of course that coincided with a lot of great things going on, the automobile, mm-hmm. some, some big shifts and changes in the, in the world economy. And uh, Texas turned out to be resource rich. And that, that definitely um, dictated how a lot of communities in Texas grew. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, prior to, you know, that period, there's not a huge market for oil. I mean, it's really the automobile and the turn toward that as a fuel source that right. creates a market about the same time that these new uh, discoveries are made. Yeah. The, the interesting part of that as it relates to Waco is there's relatively no oil production in McLennan County. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you pulled up a map that showed, uh, you know, had, had marked on it every oil and gas well in Texas, You'd see this great map, and you'd see a lot of cities that ha- donut hole <laughs> that have a lot of oil and gas in their backyard, and then there's Waco in the middle of Central Texas with literally almost nothing. Yeah, and um, yeah. In fact, of the 26 MSA, what does MSA stand for? Metropolitan Statistical Area. Yes, and that's used <laughs> by the Department of Labor. Or some other census. Yeah. It's uh, it's used by a number of different departments, um, and it's a federal designation that gives um, uh, geographical areas that uh, have um, economies that are dependent upon one another. Gotcha. So Waco is its own MSA. Yes. Um, and there's 26 of these throughout the state. So just think of every kind of mid-sized city and mm-hmm. up. Yeah, so Roughly. they're large metros, they're mega metros, right. they're micro metros. True, true. Okay. And if you, of the 26 of them, I think just looking at that map I, I just described, there's only two or three of them that don't have an oil play. Mm-hmm. You know, us, Temple Belton, and, you know, there's not really anything around Austin, right. the Austin area. Mm-hmm. Everybody else has oil and gas somewhere in their economy. Yeah, that's interesting. 
I think that's what uh, what we'll see drove some of the early leaders into developing the economy that we now get to enjoy. Well, mm-hmm. and we can get into that more as we move on. Um, yeah, so let's jump in. It's Waco in 1850. What's going on? Uh, with very small scale um, cotton production in in town. I mean, there's not a lot of, there's trading that we've already talked about and established, but it's sparse settlement. Um, it's mainly this, uh, the place of Waco in a growing Texas that's really making a name for itself. It's a, trying to become a legitimate community uh, first off and survive. Right. Yeah. And as we discussed before, I mean, Waco as a town is relatively small. More people live in the county mm-hmm. than actually live in the city of Waco or mm-hmm. the town of Waco. Mm-hmm. And, and that's because it was an agrarian, mostly agrarian driven economy. Mm-hmm. So why cotton? Well, uh, well, I've got a, can I skip ahead just a minute? Cause I got a quote. I want to I read you. Uh, this is from the 1902. So this is skipping ahead a bit, but it's it's useful for this uh, conversation, and I found this in reading it. And this might answer your question of why cotton. So this is the 1902 city directory, um, and it says, it, it's talking at that point, you know, Waco's become the center of the uh, interior cotton market in Texas. Really, it's a, it, they say in the world in here. Uh, five compresses, uh, more, one, more than one billion million bales handled, uh, and uh, they share this fact. Uh, at this Paris exposition in 1900, prizes were offered for the richest sample of soil. The competition was open to the entire world. A committee of experts were appointed as judges, and the committee examined specimens of soil from the Valley of the Ganges, the Valley of the Nile, the Danube, the Rhine, the Seine, the Thames, the Amazon, the Mississippi, and the Brassus. The latter received the award over all its competitors. The scientific analysis and certificate of award to the Brazos Valley soil is in the possession of the Waco Business Men's Club and can be seen by anyone who will call. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, perhaps one reason we, we call is those bragging rights. Right yeah, there, exactly. Man. You can come by and see it if you want to. So maybe one reason is just the richness of the soils mm. uh, that existed in the Brazos Valley. Yeah, that that's um, that's interesting because you think about um, we we really have a pretty varied as we've talked about in some of our previous podcasts varied geology around here. We're kind of on a uh, you know, west of us. It's uh, um, much more rocky and broken ground to the east is the Blackland Prairie. And then of course you have the Brazos Valley running through that. Um, and, and, and so as I think as cotton production um, started, it started in that Valley land because it was easy to till. It was mm-hmm. very fertile. Um, you know, it stayed mo- a lot more moist because it was close to the river. Um, and I think that's where these early plantations uh, really really took root mm-hmm. yeah, so to speak and yeah and and they're they're based on free labor based on enslaved labor uh, mm-hmm. in the 1850s and then after the civil war they're based on cheap labor uh, with tenant farming and sharecropping but it is the limit of you know that 98th meridian mm-hmm. uh, change in rainfall so it, it is the limit of that growing belt where you can grow cotton based on natural rainfall 
Yeah, the um, the, the if, if you look historically, the towns, some towns west of us, um, I think of Hamilton, for instance, they had a cotton economy too. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, the problem there was the soil was a lot thinner and rockier. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, John Graves, the uh, mm-hmm. author, wrote Goodbye to a River yeah. And, yeah. and another book called Hard Scrabble. Yeah, great, great books. Yes, both of them great. He does a great job of describing these um, settlers that would come get a piece of land. Uh, they would they'd farm cotton on it for a few years till till they wore it out, you know, till it got worn out. Because mm-hmm. it would deplete the soil. Cotton was a very um, uh, intense plant. It, it takes all the nutrients out of the soil, and then you can't grow anything. And uh, then they would just move on to the next piece of land. So I think you saw that. Uh, eventually, the... the the plows improve, the technology gets better. They are able to, to break into the Blackland Prairie, mm-hmm. get out of the Brazos Valley, get into the Blackland soil. And uh, that also proved to be very, uh, very useful, a lot better than the rocky ground west of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we've got, I mean, by the 1880s, a, a booming uh, cotton market. If, I mean, if you were, you were to go down to uh, those old uh, cotton warehouses, mm-hmm. we now go there for fajitas and mm-hmm. and steaks and things like that but you would have looked out in front of you and and seen uh certain times of the year bales as far as the eye could see and uh buyers uh, from all over uh working the cotton market that existed in waco yeah it, it and cotton took a lot of other industries around it mm-hmm. uh, uh you know we we're recording in a studio just down the road from the silos and what's, you know, the silos before they be, became, uh, a, uh, you know, destination, uh, destination, destination. A tourism, yes. a t- <laughs> it, it, actually, it was a functioning <laughs> cotton oil, uh, cottonseed oil, yeah, Brazos right. Valley cottonseed oil. Mill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you also had compresses, right? Once the, once the, uh, the, the, the train, the tap railroad got into, came into Waco in the 1870s. It's a, it was a lot more efficient to compress it into bales and then ship it. Well, that, that was a whole technology that came about to, to, to be able to, to do that com- compressing uh, locally. Yeah, and we're going to have Fiona Bond on to talk about uh, Crossroads of Entertainment. But the, the Cotton Palace Exposition is the ultimate sort of expression of, of the glory of cotton right, uh, in right. Waco. Yeah. Right, right. And from an economic development standpoint, yeah. a great idea for the city leaders because they could bring in people from all around the region to uh, to Waco. Yeah, hundreds of thousands of people every fall yeah. uh, coming to this event. Yeah, today we say heads and beds. You know, they were just trying to get heads and beds That's and right. people spend money. <laughs> um, yeah, so this this eighteen fifty to nineteen hundreds. Um, let, let's talk about some of the business businesses we know were here. Mm-hmm. At the time. Yeah, I thought you pulled a list from that 1876 handbook you've been using. I think that's a great little sample size to yeah. talk about what the economy looked like. Yeah, and and there's a couple things. Um, well, the one thing I love about this book is it's got advertisements in it. So mm-hmm. let me just peruse some of the advertisements so you can kind of see who what was, what was going on here. Um, let's see. Um, and we're ignoring the reservation, which was another form of well, actually, we're not gonna, economic development. We're, we're yeah. not going to ignore it, but uh, <laughs> you could you could have you could have gone to Bismarck's Saloon and Billiard Hall, 
dealers in all kinds of imported wines, liquors, and cigars. So that was there for you. If you got hungry, you go down to J.W. Brooks Dealer and Groceries. Uh, there was Bayou City Ironworks. There's a couple of ironworks in town because um, that's how you, you know, the, the, the farm machinery was built. Mm-hmm. Some of it was shipped in and bought, but a lot of a lot of the implements people used were had to be made somewhere. And uh, that's what these machinists and farm farmworks did. There's some, there's a dentist here, a fashionable tailor, groceries and plantation supplies, wagon yards, bunch of attorneys. Turns out they, they've been around for a long time. They have, yeah. Uh, hardware. Uh, oh, here's my favorite: Northern Lake Ice and Soda Water. Yeah, don't get Rick started. Uh, There's an earlier episode yeah, if you want to go yeah, find yeah, out about that out, how yeah. ice. Because in 1870s, Stephen, they were making ice in I, Waco, I Texas. Know. They were right, ne- right next door. Or That's pretty right. Close. Well, pretty, pretty close. close. Well, the, the, the first one, you're going to have to listen to that episode. Okay. That yeah, episode there's, there's, Chris, there's more than you want to know Gosh, on there. So nice. much. So, so. <laughs> it, I can hardly wait. Yeah. Um, It'll make you drink things not on the rocks. Okay. <laughs> so, so you had bakeries, you had a, a photographer and fine art. So it was 1876. You could go get, you know, a photograph and some fine art. Um, surgeons, um, uh, lots of mercantile type stuff, livery, feed, stables. You know, um, hotels, um, so uh, saddles, harnesses, you know, all the things you would need to live in the mm-hmm. 1876 uh, time frame. Boots and shoes, caps and hats. Um, you mentioned, uh, you, you made a note here of Padgett's, uh, which Tom Padgett, one of the oldest surviving Waco businesses that's in business for over a hundred years there. And, and many folks listening may have known Wilton Lanning, who yes. sent it to Tom Padgett. Yep. Yeah. He deserves a tip of the hat. Definitely. Mr. Yeah. Dr. Pepper. That's yes. right. Yes. But that, that business was, uh, uh, I think Tom Padgett immigrated, got involved in making saddles mm-hmm. somewhere around Houston and eventually made his way to Waco and, um, it was a huge operation, grew, grew a huge mm-hmm. business out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Okay, before I leave the uh, 1876 handbook, um, I'm, I'm going to read. They've, there's a directory. It's the first time they printed a directory of who actually lived in Waco. And they also included their, not only their name, but also their occupation. I thought you were going to read the entire directory. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, Aaron and, Adamson, yeah. So so a couple of, <laughs> of, a couple of things I want to point out. Now, they also... Uh, this is 1876, post-Civil War. Uh, they also note on here who is of uh, a colored race mm-hmm. and who's not. Yeah, and that persists up through the city directories in the 1920s. There's a C uh, by residence names. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, so a couple of, uh, I'll just read through here. Here's a guy who's a grocer. There's a guy who's a, you know, talking about a, a colored servant, colored blacksmith, constable. Lawyer, merchant, engineer, boiler maker. Uh, here's one. Um, I thought this was interesting. Colored school teacher. His name, A.J. Moore. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, just some of the other um, professions you see here: machinist, widow, actress. There yeah, was yeah. there was a pretty big vaudeville. Well, Stephen's got a story on the whole self, actress self-employed thing. model. Uh, I, I think, yeah. So, I mean, there were uh, 
women of ill repute uh, that would often go by actresses uh, in the in the uh, census. They didn't. Uh, they didn't want to put the other term in the actual sure, directory. Sure. So um, get creative. Yes. Um, anyway, very interesting to see what people did to uh, make a living. A lot of farmers. A lot of farmers lived in town, even though their their land was uh, out in the country, um, or they had two houses and went back and forth. But uh, yeah, exciting time. I mean, the 1870s and 1880s were mm-hmm. really big. One one. Um, uh, we're actually recording this. We are recording it. <laughs> did you March fourteenth. Did you just realize this? Uh, it's being <laughs> no. recorded. Now. No, I I knew it as soon as Sorry, I walked Chris. in the door. Uh, <laughs> but but the big news in the last couple of weeks is a bank failed recently. Yes, and uh, if you think about the national picture back then, um, I, I got a little curious thinking about the current events. And actually looked up. So in this time period that we're talking about, um, they had a number of recessions, <laughs> depressions, and panics. panics yeah. I think I think panic <laughs> is like uh, worse than the depression. Like it, it, so they were runs on banks and companies, and so through through this fifty years that we're just describing, it wasn't all you know lollipops. I mean, it was there mm-hmm. was there were a lot of tough things going on on the national stage and and you had an economy here that was really built about around one thing yeah yeah and the problem with cotton is you don't control the price at all it's completely a market-driven price and all you can do is if the price drops is grow more which affects the price right <laughs> and, so, and you yeah, don't control yeah. the weather yeah. and you don't control the bugs Co- cost of the implements the, to yeah. grow yes. it yeah mm-hmm. yeah so it's it's a it's a precarious, you know, uh, balancing act to build your economy on that. Yeah. In fact, that, I mean, you can extend that out to, um, you know, that instability and that comes along with cotton as to part of what contributes to its demise, right, mm-hmm. uh, as a, as the center of Waco's economy. Yeah. So as we moved in the 1900s, which is great, because really the, the pinnacle of cotton was probably the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. In fact, you you can, um, I, I think, trace the the strength of the cotton economy to um, to to Waco's success. And so, mm-hmm. looking at, at Waco in the early 1900s, it really was a golden age. Um, in uh, I, if you drive through downtown, all the iconic buildings, mm-hmm. except the suspension bridge. I mean, that was built in 1870, but. The Washington Street Bridge was 1902. The uh, um, Alico Building, 1910. Um, oh, let's see. We had uh, the the like Praetorian, 1915. Yeah. Uh, the Roosevelt, the Raleigh. I mean, the, the Roosevelt's a little bit later, but yeah, yeah I think City those, Hall, 1930. Those, yeah. those buildings kind of mark a heyday, an early heyday for Waco. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, I think they mark a, a period of real innovation, too, for Waco. The Alico building was the first steel frame building built in the community. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, really, they, really west of yeah. Mississippi. Yeah. It, was, it was the tallest building west of the Mississippi and south of the Mason-Dixon line. And so, I mean, that's pretty substantial yeah. that it was Waco and not Dallas that that happened. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now the oldest skyscraper in Texas. 
that's left standing. Historic skyscraper. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Well, so so what happened, right? We were in this heyday. Yeah. And then we, uh, um, the cotton industry r- really goes through some tough times. I think through the 20s, there's um, price pressures, like you mentioned before. There's a lot of uh, foreign competition that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, locally, like we talked about, a lot of these the land started getting worn out. And it was not producing like it used to. Early so, 1900s was when the farming really started to open up on the high plains, mm-hmm. uh, where I was from in Plainview and in that area. <laughs> and but you had you had this magical thing there. You had irrigation. Yeah. If it didn't rain, you just you could irrigate your crops and still have a great crop. Yeah. You had the uh, the boll weevil crosses over from Mexico in the 1890s. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the day is the boll weevil moves 60 miles a year. So there's kind of this slow march of the boll weevil. Mm. So we kind of know when it moves all through Texas and finally ends up, you know, crashing uh, cotton crops in Georgia and South Carolina eventually on into the uh, end the 1900s, but extremely devastating uh, to crops. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, uh, um, probably it'd be interesting to go back and look and, you know, if we could, we could talk to people from that time, but knowing that that slow March is coming up and it's going to crater your economy or potentially crater your economy. I, I think uh, that, and just the fluctuations that were happening, uh, led the, the city leaders to go, Hey, we might need to do something a little different here. <laughs> well, my, well, my favorite monument in the American South is in enterprise, Alabama, Home of the Bow Weevil. Yes. I've, I've been there. You've I've been seen there. it. All right. I've so, seen the statue. So Chris is taking yes. a pilgrimage. Uh, you got yes. kind of a Statue of Liberty sort of figure holding a bow weevil above her head right downtown. And those people in Enterprise are celebrating the fact that the bow weevil forced them to diversify. You can think of Southerners kind of addicted to cotton. It forced yep. them to diversify. So you've had this religious experience at the Bull Weevil. Been so, to Fort Rucker. I've experienced it all. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. So the Bull Weevil, uh, among among other things, the drought in the 1930s, and and of course uh, the the ultimate failure of the sharecropping system to uh, you know work. Right. You know. So right. Let's do some changes. Um. I have, a, I have another handbook of Waco. And, and the way I think you need to look at these handbooks, it's like we would do a website today. Yeah. Uh, the, the the community groups, the chambers of commerce, whatever, they would print up these these great handbooks and they would take them to exhibitions around the country. Or to Chris other might places. do a PowerPoint. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. yes, she would have been <laughs> handing out these books. But um, yeah. So let me read. a. This is the 1910 handbook again kind of the middle of that 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 golden age and and this is actually from the uh chamber of commerce section so i'm, I'm well, in for and, you chris and i have to give a plug to the chamber so our, our roots go to 1899 wow, with the fantastic. formation of the waco businessmen's club yeah yeah thank mm-hmm. goodness we've changed a little bit <laughs> <laughs> you yes. wouldn't have a job i would not have a job <laughs> yeah that that uh, that is one of the interesting things as i was going through not just the the 1876, but the 1910 is especially when commercially it's all, it's all men. Yeah. And I bet if I really looked into it and knew it's all probably white men, 
I mean, yes. the way our, yeah. our our culture and society has changed uh, has been extreme over the last whatever hundred plus years. Um, so, I think we've unleashed a lot more economic potential than uh, than, oh, we, yeah. than we had. I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you for just a second. So I have a um, a really nice um, historic letter that's on my my wall in my office. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. A very kind gentleman named James Talbert. Uh, gave this to me, and it was from the Waco Businessmen's Club to his uncles, who had placed fourth in the state fair cotton, I mean, corn growing competition. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's the letter, and it's the original ribbon, and uh, and with it on the the letterhead of the um, of the envelope uh, has this really great. Uh, saying on there, but it's a it's a hub and spoke. It's a wagon wheel, and on each one of the the spokes is um, the center, and the and the hub is Waco, and it says Waco the hub, and then it has all of on each spoke. Mm-hmm. It has a different city or state around mm-hmm. it. So Waco's at the center of all of these things. So even in the early 1900s, 1909, when this letter was written, um, people were thinking about economic development, but the envelope says the city of unequaled industrial and commercial opportunities. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. people were thinking about economic development, mm-hmm. you know, even at the earliest points of, of Waco's formation. Right. And, and I don't know this, but again, just looking at going, they're looking at all their neighbors in Texas and going, we don't have those oil wells. Mm-hmm. What right. are we going to do? Exactly. And, and cotton is declining. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they could see the handwriting on the wall. So, um, yeah. So from that, uh, uh, this, this excerpt again from the handbook, uh, about the chamber of commerce during the past five years, its labors have been buried, varied. He's talking about the chamber of commerce. It has stood ready to assist in every good work for the development, which is so marked in the Waco of today and has borne its part in all, whether it has been an earnest effort in raising the $110,000 endowment fund which helped give better educational facilities at Baylor. Well, we're still raising money for Baylor, aren't we? Yeah, that's right. That was, that, was, that was Waco Hall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, whether it was securing the Katie shops, so those were... Um, train shops, yeah. Train shops, mm-hmm. yeah. So industry, they're getting industry here. The interurban between Dallas and Waco. So the uh, interurban mm-hmm. railway, that's when it, it came in. And whether it has been the success of the Cotton Palace... Uh, the new six hundred and fifty thousand dollar hotel, uh, the the current hotels being built in Waco that didn't even pay for the plumbing. I'm just, <laughs> um, or in the campaign, which has been uh, just closed for good roads and the uh, issuance of over a million dollars in good roads bonds, which will be used in the building of a total of one hundred and eighty five miles of good roads in the precincts of McLennan County. Hmm. And what year was that? So that's 1910. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. Ties back to when we talked about that good road society mm-hmm. and uh, where they came out of. And then uh, skipping skipping down a little bit, it says, with view, of, uh, with view to this work, the Chamber of Commerce has gone on record as offering the sum of $100,000 to be awarded as a bonus or used in securing sites for factories in Waco. Hmm. So they were, they were thinking ahead. Mm-hmm. And I think you uh, you listed uh, also some of those industries that would have been 
kind of operating uh, in the early 1900s. Right. So these were some of those uh, with, you know, kind of primary industries. In fact, it's some of them that they tout that they attracted to Waco. Mm-hmm. So uh, medicine production became a big deal. So uh, Tawa's Remedy Company and Merrick Mer- Medicine. Yep, the Percy Medicine Company. Yes. That's right, Percy Baby Medicine yes. uh, originally. So yeah. just in case and, you got confused. And that, and that business, I mean, I think it changed names, but it survived for many years, right, mm-hmm. in in in, uh, in Waco. Uh, Circle A Carbonated Drinks. Mm-hmm. I think you just did a podcast on uh, We did from the Dr. Pepper Museum on their new exhibit on uh, the people who made Dr. Pepper. Go check yeah. it out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this was an interesting one. The Barton Dynashine Factory was attracted in 1919. The shoe shine company. It's a shoe shine company, yeah. yeah. And he had he, he um, had like a uh, six acre factory here, and it was a big deal. But then he left in 1927. What happened? Um, I'm not sure. He moved it to St. Louis. Is what what I read. But uh, I guess people didn't shine their shoes anymore. <laughs> there was incredible foresight. Uh, like we talked about in the military crossroads of going after Camp MacArthur and getting that here, uh, that that business leaders went to D.C. and lobbied to, to get that camp here, mm-hmm. which um, doubled the size of Waco. I mean, that at, yeah. at its at its peak, and and you think about what drives an economy, people. people. You know, there's a there's that that correlation we talked about earlier, and so. And um, innovation of air, having airfields here that, that uh, the Great War brings as well. Yeah. You know, I, after we did that military crossroads episode, I'm like, how, how many airfields were there actually in America at the time? Hmm. How, how unique was it that Waco got an airfield? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I went and found that at that point they had authorized 23 airfields in all of them, all the U.S., these oh, military airfields. Yeah, so the very military, rare. Yeah. yeah, the military was the main one flying, so it wasn't like there were a bunch of municipal fields yeah. anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, cre- at that point, aviation was still really young, and so it was unusual for people to see an airplane flying. So yeah. it was, yeah. it was a marvel at that time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I was reading accounts of people who would just drive out to the airfield and stand, sit there all day and watch mm-hmm. and. And I was reminded of that last night or yesterday. I was I was doing some work out at my farm, and I don't live too far from, or that the farm's not too far from McGregor mm-hmm. um, Airport. And I still look up every time a, fly, a plane flies over. I just it's it's a you know a, a natural reaction, um, and I've been around airplanes my whole life. Well, we talked about it a little bit in that episode, but. Uh, uh, someone I work with talked about taking their son out to SpaceX and he wanted to touch something that's going to go to space. <laughs> you know, so just the idea of that yeah. versus the idea of seeing a plane, seeing something go airborne when that seems so completely foreign yeah, and unreal. Think about it. There's, there's people who grew up in log cabins on the frontier, probably still didn't have running water in their house, mm-hmm. had maybe fought with, with hostile Indians, and all of a sudden, a plane flies over them. Yeah. I mean, that that just would blow your mind. So just having that advanced technology just in town, that sort of innovation here. Yeah. Um, okay, the first heavy industry that, that was brought to Waco was the Atlas Portland Cement Company in 1928. And it's still here, still here today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's called the, the, it's changed names now. It's Lehigh. Lehigh. 
and it's out uh, on 84, a little bit past Woodway. So it's, we need to do something for the 100th, Chris. I yep. mean, their 100th is coming up here pretty soon. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, the uh, Some of the data talked about between 1920 and 1930, manufacturing industry increased by a third. Mm. Um, so it, it really was, like we said, there was an effort, like we just read a little bit about in the book, they were offering incentives, uh, trying to get more industry here, and it worked. But then something happened about 1929. That's right. Much like me, uh, the country went into a Great Depression. Right. And <laughs> we felt it here just like everybody else. <laughs> just don't go into a panic, okay? Yeah, no, I'm fine. Okay, I'm fine. all right. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, that, you know, there's such a contrast between the 30s and 40s. I mean, what happens in the 1930s and 40s? I mean, we we talk about that. I mean, they've been labeled the greatest generation, that generation that kind of encounters the Great Depression and they're going to encounter uh, World War II. And we're not going to get into the dynamics of waging World War II, but what's important to know domestically is, and this is a stat I share with my students, so usually people get overcharged tuition to hear this, so... <laughs> so you're getting it for free. Uh, so the federal government, if you take the Washington administration through the, the the first six years, seven years of the FDR administration, and you combine all the money the federal government spends, they're going to spend more than that between 1942 and 1945. So there is this massive infusion of mm -hmm. money into the economy. And, of course, it, it, it all goes into heavy industry and manufacturing. So right. we build out of infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and so I mean, we, we see it we Waco see it here. absolutely a beneficiary of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we see that impact here locally. Yeah, in fact, between 1940 and 48, uh, there was over $32 million of investment in heavy industrial, which was a, a 365% increase of what was here. You, f you got your calculator out. For that one. I just did it in my head real okay. quick. But the um, <laughs> so what if if we want to put some names yeah, to that? We, well, some yeah. of those businesses are still here, or, mm -hmm. or some of them leave a shadow because they're not here anymore. But um, Owen Illinois, the glass plant, came in in 1943. It was a million dollar investment, okay. and it was a big deal. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, no, it was it was it was massive. Even bigger was the General Tire plant that came. Yeah. In 1945, uh, at its peak, had over a thousand employees. That's going to become, at its peak, the largest employer in Waco, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A big employer. And uh, we talked about the Blue Bonnet Ordnance Plant that yeah. that continues to have life in some ways uh, as as part of SpaceX. But that's a uh, 1942, and that's going to have a, a a long life as well. Right. Uh, we also mentioned in that uh, Military Crossroads episode the the federal investment in bases here, mm -hmm. right? So we, we not just blue bonnet, but, um, you know, we ended up uh, getting, what, three other bases out of here? Uh, mm -hmm. Blackland, Conley, um, and what am I forgetting? Uh, so we have Blackland, we have Connolly, and we have... We had blue bonnet. Yeah, um, that, that, that's the main, that's, yeah. I can't think of anything beyond yeah. that. Yeah, so, again, those not only brought the actual investment of infrastructure and facilities, but the people that help drive the local economy. So if you're a newcomer to Waco and you drive by the brick, 
the, the Baylor Research Innovation mm-hmm. Collaborative, that's General Tire is what you're driving by. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that'll pick up in our more modern uh, part of the economy in a minute. I bet Chris yeah. will have something to yeah. say yeah, about she, that. Well, I... Um, I actually do have something to say about General Tire and, and Owens. They, um, when those two plants were operating at full capacity um, in 1945, they had over 2,000 employees between the two of them, and that accounted for over half of the industrial labor force of Waco. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, I mean, that's a, a huge concentration in two companies. Mm-hmm. And then amazing. we felt the impact when General Tire closed. That was that was a big hit to the community for sure. Right, mm-hmm. and, and Waco at the time was only fifty thousand people. You got to you got to remember that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, as you primary you sector call them, jobs, primary, primary sector, sector jobs. jobs. I mean, mm-hmm. these are two thousand primary sector jobs. But we've got to think of the multiplier effect of those two thousand jobs. Yeah. Right? So they yeah. talk about you know in manufacturing that one primary sector manufacturing job will create an additional five jobs. Wow. That may not all be local, but they will generate an additional five right, jobs. Right. And then locally, it's it's usually, you know, around two and a half jobs. Wow. Right. So, so that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Big impact. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, that really gets us to the post-World War II area, so era. And so the 1950s starts off with, you know, probably one of the most devastating things you could do to a local economy. Yeah, the Waco tornado, May 11th, uh, 1953, and just the devastation of that um, in human lives and property and investment and infrastructure uh, downtown, you could argue, uh, still has the the thumbprint of uh, the Waco tornado. An F5 tornado hits uh, a major downtown, and you can can listen to that uh, podcast episode to learn more about that, but for these concerns here, huge economic consequences uh, from that tornado. Right. So at the time, besides the 114 dead and 597 injured, you had 41 million in property damage. And and this you, you, this helps put it in perspective. 196 businesses and factories were destroyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, this is it's also where it happens, right? It's it's downtown. It's the urban core. And this is during an era where money isn't coming into the urban core as much as it's going into other places. Right. And so, you know, downtown, getting traction from it is, is going to be an issue. Right. And, and during that time, downtown was still the lifeblood of cities. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, we're, we're different now with suburbs and the way cities are, are developed. But, uh, but then it was, that was a tough, tough blow. Um, but and you mentioned this a minute ago with the with the uh, the greatest generation. I think this post World War II period, you did have a bunch of these young men and women come back from all over the world, and they were they were invigorated with a with a different idea of of pushing their communities forward. Mm-hmm. It, and we benefited from that in Waco. Um, you know, we we uh, um, have talked about some of the 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 big infrastructure projects that happened post-World War II, whether it was the, the Lake Waco Dam, uh, the, the big dam going in, uh, even educationally when we talked about MCC mm-hmm. and TSTC, some, some of these big rocks that started getting moved in our community that have had long, a long-lasting impact. Well, one of those 
and I'd love for 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 Chris to to dive into this one for us was something that uh, eventually became what's called the Waco Industrial Foundation. It started off a little differently though. Right. But uh, 1952, um, these local leaders got together and they were thinking about economic development, Chris. Yeah, so um, after after Owens, Illinois uh, came into the community, uh, you know, I mentioned before that economic development has really been on the, the mindset of this, of Waco for all, since, basically since its formation. And these uh, local business leaders said, you know, we really need to be more competitive when it comes to attracting business. I said, you know, we've we've got a lot of things going for us, but we don't have land. Mm-hmm. We don't have any sites that we can put in front of somebody. Uh, so you had well, well, we had land, but it wasn't ready, right? Explain what that means. Yeah, certainly, certainly there were there was land available in Waco, but when when a company is looking for a place to go, they want it to be what's called shovel ready. So they want uh, something that's going to be easy to develop. It's going to have access to the infrastructure it needs, whether that's roads or water and sewer, electricity. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are all the things that a company needs, uh, including people, right? So we had yeah. people, uh, we had an abundancy of land, but we didn't necessarily have all of the other assets that needed to bring that those those businesses here. So you had um, a, a group of of business uh, businesses and business leaders within the community and. A lot of them were banks that uh, came together and formed um, what eventually became the Waco Industrial Foundation, and uh, it was originally a um, a for profit organization. So everybody they put together, um, you bought shares for a dollar. You had a minimum of twenty five shares that you had to buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they raised uh, twenty five dollars. Yeah. Yes, you yeah, yeah. had to put twenty five dollars yeah. in to be in. Um, and with this, you, um, you, you, you had these folks that were, um, really trying to figure out, uh, okay, we'll, we'll put this money together. We'll go out, we'll buy some land, uh, and then we will sell the land at a profit, take that, those profits and generate more, more activity by buying more land, mm-hmm. but we'll be bringing in new businesses at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, the, the competition started getting more and more uh, robust across uh, other communities, too. They saw what was happening in Waco, uh, and the, these guys said, you know, we really need to be even more competitive, mm-hmm. and this for-profit model's not working for us. Uh, so we we should switch over uh, into a, um, a nonprofit. So on February 26, 1958, the Waco Industrial Foundation, as we know it, was formed and became a nonprofit uh, Texas corporation. So our mission, um, so the chamber serves as the staff for the Industrial Foundation. And you're, you're the actual director, right? Uh, nope. Matt Metters is okay. the executive vice president. Who is the president of the chamber of yes, commerce. Yes, he's the yes. president of the Great chamber of commerce, and, and he directs our team as staff for the foundation. Gotcha. Uh, so we work closely with the board and the executive committee, uh, and, you know, really is this really helped establish the what we call the three-legged tool of uh, stool of, of economic development in Waco and McLennan County. So you have the city coming in as a partner, you have the county coming in, and then the private business sector through the Industrial Foundation to bring land to the table. And so, that's that's been a huge benefit for us. So, so is it accurate to say it operates like a land bank? It's got land stored away for this purpose to use 
uh, to, to if to that's leverage. wrong, let him know. I, I would say that we are more like a, um, in a sense, more like a private developer, only we're not in it to generate a profit for anyone but the community is mm-hmm. from, from that sense. Okay. So we're, we're holding on to land as an asset and um, using it and developing it out and putting the infrastructure in place to attract new prosperity into the community. Okay, so so what was what was this uh, story about a mystery acres? Oh, mystery acres. <laughs> uh, so uh, apparently, this was all the buzz of the community for for quite some time. Um, there were uh, there was a um, a level of acreage uh, acreage that was being acquired. Uh, nobody knew what it was for. Uh, but eventually, two thousand acres were was acquired, and it was all put under the name of this secretary at a law firm in Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, the land just stayed fallow for for a long time. And um, a local real estate broker uh, said, "You know, this is this is ridiculous. We've we've got an opportunity here with this." And uh, um, the there was a local attorney that was working on behalf of the landowner who never, never disclosed who the client was. But there were lots of rumors. There's going to be an, a huge auto plant that comes in. It's going to Ford or GM's going to announce any day and uh, uh, never happened. So we never know what Mystery Acres was, was meant to be. Uh, but we do know that it has generated a huge opportunity for this community. So for the listeners, describe where yeah. that is. So, this, and, and the WIF did a, a acquire this land eventually, right? Eventually, the uh, WIF did acquire it in the early 1960s, uh, acquired 2,000 acres for a million dollars. But you have to understand, WIF didn't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you going to buy this land uh, for, for a million dollars and not have any money? And uh, it was through um, uh, some creative uh, banking <laughs> that that uh, that some of that occurred. We had. Uh, I think that's going on right now. Yeah, fiscally unsound and creative. There's such a fine line. Well, you know, at the end of the day, there was at least an asset, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so uh, there was some security there versus you know things like cryptocurrency, where you know, right? Uh, but you might, when we think about um, so mystery acres, if um, if you think about. Um, the area um, along Franklin Avenue from Valley Mills to Franklin, uh, along Franklin, all the way down to uh, what's now Texas Central Parkway. Okay. So uh, originally 2,000 acres. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thinking about it now, it's just, it's it's fully, de- it's it's pretty developed. But yeah. at that point, it was just, just open land. Right. And, uh, and so... Um, I the, think the, one of the things that made it attractive too is it had two rail lines running through it. It did. Well, it's it's both. Uh, um, well, now the Union Pacific. Right. Um, there's a main line and a spur that runs, and that is the line that converges and comes through downtown Waco. Yeah. Yeah. So, from an industrial development yeah. standpoint, you listed it's, off a whole other set of u- utilities, and rail would rail, be another one. Another and at one. that point, you know, rail was very, mm-hmm. very active in this in this market. Uh, so it was a huge asset to be able to take advantage of. And then you had um, uh, the highway system starting to build out. You had um, Highway 84 right. that was uh, th- that was adjacent to the land too, mm-hmm. um, what eventually would become Highway 6 and then Interstate 35 connectivity as well. So 
I mean, it, it was a really smart play on the behalf of the foundation to, to acquire that land. Okay, so they get this land in 1960 and they fill it up like overnight with no. companies. <laughs> no, it, and it's not always, you know, just having the asset. It takes a lot of time, but I was, uh, they, they did some creative things where as they sold land, they were able to release the acreage from the banks. Um, they uh, had an agreement with the city of Waco. Um, so at that point, the utilities were, were really willing to come to the table and help build out. So you had the uh, the de- highway department, you had the gas company, you had mm. the power company that were willing to come and bring the infrastructure to the land mm-hmm. um, as part of the partnership. Uh, and then the city of Waco uh, would agree not to annex the business for five years as part of the incentive. Mm. So the, the avoidance of city taxes for five years, right. and then they would annex them in. So there were there was lots of creative things that were happening, but I thought it was as I was reviewing and and preparing for this this conversation, um, the thing that always stuck out to me is how people even um, in the early 1900s and as we moved the foundation moved together, everybody talked about partnership. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that it just continues to be part of our DNA and resonates mm-hmm. uh, generationally for us. Mm-hmm. So so. Uh, yeah, what were their what were their early wins? What what are some some oh. uh, uh, companies that we would recognize today that that came out of this early effort? Yeah, so some of those, uh, you know, you can you can still drive down. Um, you know, Imperial uh, at the time was a gravel road, mm-hmm. right? And so working with the city, the city was able to pave the road. Uh, but uh, Marathon Norco was mm-hmm. one of the early wins. It came uh, in the early 1970s. Aviation batteries, yeah, right? Yeah, aviation mm-hmm. batteries. You had uh, uh, what's now uh, Packaging Corporation of America, which was Le- Louis Englander's uh, Englander Container, mm-hmm. came in 1972, moved mm-hmm. from 1st Street on downtown in downtown Waco and bought uh, six acres in the industrial park to build his building. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he said, uh, he said, you know, my customers are going to be in the industrial park. I need to be near my customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was uh, one of the other great wins. Um, Mars Wrigley, as we yeah. know it now. So yeah. Eminem Mars. That was a. That uh, had to have been huge. That was a huge project. But uh, the story behind it is really interesting. So, you know, of course, we didn't have email and all the things back in the early 70s. Uh, the inquiry about the land came on a postcard <laughs> with no company name. We are interested in your community. And so for months, there was a conversation back and forth with this company and these representatives on the end of the phone that they never knew who it was. And eventually they found out that it was Mars and everybody uh, was really excited, but they, they had lots of uh, interesting names, but they were like, is this the mafia on the other <laughs> end? You know, you know, cause they were, they were New Yorkers. They could tell they were yeah. New Yorkers, but that was about all that they could tell. <laughs> the chocolate mafia. And, uh, and so, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was a, a lot of uh, fun, but you going back and seeing some of those records and, right. you know, it's, uh, old photostatic copies and highlights of, of maps and things. And, um, just the level of innovation that, that went on even then, and compared to, you know, the technology that we have access to now is, is incredible. So. Right. I look at, uh, at some other ones that come to mind and I don't remember, I don't know what their original names were cause they've, they've changed over the, over years, yep. but Helmet. Yep. 
Uh, so originally Huck Fastening Systems. Okay. Um, and it's changed names a couple of times. You know him as Alcoa and, and we um, Arconic. We Levi, had uh, Levi Strauss. Levi Strauss, which is now, well, was Coca-Cola up until about a year and a half ago, and it's now Refresco. You have um, um, Time Manufacturing that was founded yeah. and formed here, which has a had local company spin-off yeah. business with Waco Boom. Um, Capstone Mechanical. Capstone Mechanical. (laughs) That wasn't until much, much later. uh, (laughs) um, uh, It's not Allergan anymore. Um, It's AbbVie now. AbbVie, yes. But pharmaceutical manufacturing, I mean, just really, really diverse in uh, in the manufacturing that's come here. But that has been intentional, too. Uh, you know, when, when the General Tire Facility closed in the early 1980s, that was a devastating blow to the economy. Right. And the community leadership said, never again can we have that happen. Mm. So we have to be more intentional and better diversified in our economy. Mm. So so you hinted to this a minute ago when you started talking about the highways that that eventually almost surround the uh, the industrial park there, there was a transformation i think we went from a maybe a, a, a rail-based economy to also trucking became probably the main mover for for goods mm-hmm. which then all of a sudden going back to our, our crossroads premise here and you look at where waco is in the state of texas all of a sudden uh, not only from a manufacturing standpoint is waco uh, attractive but now a logistics standpoint, yep. warehousing, stuff like that. Would, would um, yeah, being, being at this point in the state is a huge uh, uh, advantage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're talking, you know, we're talking about the crossroads of Waco. You have Highway 6 and Interstate 35 that serve as a huge crossroads of um, logistical activity and that's a that's um, really attractive to businesses. They can reach their customer base within a relatively short period of time. They can um, they can get to multiple states within a two hundred mile radius, um, and then you know the cost of the cost of logistics fluctuates, and sometimes the cost of rail is less expensive than it is to truck, depending on lengths of time and and distances, um, but. Always, I mean, you have to be able to access your your business uh, mm-hmm. within a within a short period, and so um, that's that's always been a feather in our cap when we you know talk about what are the advantages of Waco versus other places. Yep. So before we leave this time period and step into the two thousands, <laughs> uh, there, there's a little footnote that uh, I I find interesting. We may mention it on one of the other podcasts, but 1996, there's this company called uh, Beale Aerospace that uh, um, uh, this, this uh, I think a developer out of Dallas had this grand idea of launching uh, satellites. Mm-hmm. And so he needed somewhere to test rockets. So he, f- he found out that at the old Blue Bonnet Ordnance Plant, they, they were already kind of set up environmentally because they had tested Rocketdyne had been out there for years. Their, their, their clearances were there to test rockets. Goes and builds a test stand. And then goes out of business pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. So. So that was 1996. 1996, and then uh, you know, just eight short years later, you had uh, well, you had um, SpaceX coming in, but um, you know, in the in the midst of that, you had Hercules that came through and did did engine testing out at the uh, what's now the McGregor Industrial Park. Um, 
So that land was um, the the Blue Bond Ordnance Facility. It was eventually um, released from the Navy, went through a environmental cleaning process, um, and it was the prototype for how the Navy and the EPA go through and do all of the um, the cleanup work for um, uh, turning over property. And so uh, they've now turned that over with um, to the city of McGregor. McGregor uses it as a um, an asset to help attract industry into um, the more rural part of McLennan County. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then you have this asset that was just sitting out there, this tripod, this rocket testing tripod. Uh, and the story goes that, um, that Elon Musk was looking for a place that uh, that he could test these engines that were being developed for his uh, commercial space business and um, happened upon McGregor. And but for that tripod being there, we would not have SpaceX in this community. Hmm. And so it started out with less than 100 acres, about 100 acres and right. um, two employees. And, you know, now they're uh, 4,400 acres and uh, over 600 employees, plus suppliers that are coming in on a daily basis and contractors. And it's it's an, a huge economic engine for the community. Yeah. And so, every engine that goes into space comes through McGregor. And we hear every yeah, engine. Hear that and that's okay. You know what? You should you should just be super proud of oh, that. Oh, I love it. Every I, time I hear that sound, I should be grateful. That's right. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. Well, sometimes yeah. it's better to be lucky than good. Absolutely. So, we'll take it. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's keep let's keep going yeah. with the 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 Waco economy two thousand on. Bring us bring us to today because man. We talked about a golden age in the early 1900s. I mean, I, I maybe a little biased, but I feel like we're in a golden age now of growth and expansion, and even more diversification of our economy. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, we've we've had um, a really successful run of economic development. We kind of use kind of 2005 as the benchmark year to look at, and so over the last 18 years, which is a crazy thing to say, 18 <laughs> years, uh, it's it's been um, you know, pretty steady development where we were, we were having years around 100 to $120 million worth of investment, which is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. We were averaging about 500 jobs adding a year, um, pretty diverse in uh, the types of businesses, um, you know, from professional services to manufacturing to the logistics, aerospace. We've had a lot of growth in that particular industry as well. And, and then, um, I'd say, you know, 2015, you know, we got through the, the, the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. And then um, 2015, really, the economy here started taking off. And then the weird thing was, in the you would think that when the pandemic hit, that the economy would have just plummeted for us and that economic development would have just gone down the tubes. And it ended up being the most successful year we had ever had. Wow. We had Amazon that came in that year. Mm-hmm. We had a number of other projects that came mm-hmm. through. We had a $400 million year in the midst of a pandemic. Wow. Stephen, footnote to that year. You know who the uh, chamber um, chairman was? That uh, uh, the, I mean, you were, he was mainly operating on the coattails of previous <laughs> uh, leaders, but I think it was you, right? Yes, and I can take absolutely yeah. no, credit no credit for like, you didn't blow, Chris did. You didn't blow it up. But, but, I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. but it, it was it was a, an exceptional time. I yeah. mean, that, yeah. And, and then the next year, we, we, we outdid that. So, you know, 2021, 
over $500 million a year. Mm. So, I mean, we've, you know, in, in a two year period, in a 24 month period, we had more economic development activity, a billion dollars worth of activity that took us nine years to get before that. Wow. So just from an acceleration perspective, it's just been unbelievable. And then, you know, last year was, was more of a normalized year, but then we've started 2023 off and we've already had a billion dollar announcement. Mm -hmm. And that is the largest announcement we've ever had for a single project. Yeah. What, what company is that? It's a graphic packaging international. Mm -hmm. So, um, this is the German company. No, no this no, is, no. This, oh. this is a, um, uh, us based company. They, okay. they, they do paper products. I see. I don't stay um, up on current events. No, so. you're good. <laughs> but, but in the midst of all of these projects that we've had, um, you know, we've seen this huge influx of foreign direct investment into the mm -hmm. community too. And I think that's, that's a great thing. Um, because it just further diversifies, but you see more and more companies that are interested in being in the U.S. because um, of things that happened as a result of mm -hmm. COVID. They couldn't they couldn't access their customer base and um, they couldn't get across borders, so they needed to be closer. So that's been an opportunity. You and I talked about that in the middle of COVID mm -hmm. about what are the opportunities that Waco could take advantage of, and I think we've we've absolutely been looking at reshoring opportunities as part of that. And another loop I want to close there. Where, where did the uh, where where the paper company where is it going to locate? In part, well, not in Mystery Acres. Oh, okay. It's not in Mystery. It's 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 additional land adjacent to Mystery Acres. To what was Mystery Acres? Yes. Okay. Yes. But really close. Like, Absolutely. Like, like on the, like on the other side of the creek. Yeah. Are we yeah. still developing Mystery Acres? Uh, there is a little bit of land left in Mystery Acres. There's probably about five hundred acres. 500 acres left. So not a lot. Not a lot. But man, yeah. think of the foresight in 1952. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't know the reasons, all the indicators and, and drivers of this boom, but it always seems to me Waco just has so much capacity where other places in Texas did not have capacity. You know, I, I think part yeah. of it is, you know, to, to Rick's point, there there's a lot of been a lot of foresight mm -hmm. in this community. So you had people that had foresight to say we need land. You had people that said we, from a foresight perspective, say we need to make sure that the interstate is coming through our community mm -hmm. and doesn't bypass us. We need to have access to water and resources. Um, so you've had you know we stand on the shoulders of people that you know had great vision and we mm -hmm. you know hopefully we're able to to leave a legacy for for others to come. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that the the bow I'd want to tie on that and Chris can help me describe this. Uh the uh, Department of Labor describes every uh MSA by uh they break it down into 10 areas of of your economy. Uh, help me. That's like leisure and hospitality is one. Right. Manufacturing, um, education and government, healthcare. You have all the different industries are broken into um, uh, a variety of categories. Right. So there's 10 main ones. Right. So if you look at uh, the Waco MSA, uh, we have six of those categories that are more than 10% of our economy. Um, so back when... To back, diversification. So when back... When COVID mm -hmm. hit, I, you know, I'd seen that chart a million times in chamber meetings and I thought, oh, that's great. How does that really compare? Mm -hmm. So I started digging around and looking at the other MSAs in Texas. Everyone else, some had only two. Mm. Midland Odessa, you had, you know, you had oil and gas and something else, finances or something like that, financial. 
but most of the rest of them had three or four. We were the only one with six. And, and that diversified economy uh, paid huge dividends through, uh, uh, through COVID, coming yeah. out of COVID. Yeah, we were the first MSA in the state of Texas to reach pre-pandemic levels. Um, of employment, for, of, of employment. I mean, so that we think that was part of that diversification. The Texas seventh in the nation, if I remember mm-hmm. right. Right. That's right. So, wow. So going back a hundred years to to our you know or, or more to these guys in these handbooks talking about cooperation and talking about uh, getting factories and 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 realizing they got to change over from a cotton economy to something else. The, the men and women that came back from wherever they served in World War II and had a had a new sense of what they could do and maybe a, a bigger worldview and then they started started some of these long 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 term investments. I mean, how awesome is that that we're reaping these rewards now? And I, I guess I'm almost a little bit scared too. I'm like, are are we having that same forethought for those in the future generations? So. Chris, tell yep. me you're having yes some or no. thought. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was having this conversation with someone earlier today about, you know, um, the evolution of business. Hmm. And and so, for instance, manufacturing has changed a lot. Uh, uh, Owens, Illinois, when it came in, you know, had 900 employees. It has 350 now. So that's the wow. change. The change of, of equipment automation. and automation yeah. and, and just efficiencies. And, um, the, you know, we have a power plant here that, and a power plant generally would have hundreds of employees. They operate with less than a hundred. Right. So, I mean, this, the, 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 the difference is there. And so what's our opportunity? Um, if we, cause we have a pretty high concentration in manufacturing. And so if these companies are going to continue to evolve and become more efficient and include automation in their processes, what are we, what's what what are we going to do from a community perspective to ensure that we still have quality jobs right. and opportunities for people to be employed? Um, so you know it's investing in education and upskilling of individuals, but it's also making sure that we're not um, that companies aren't falling behind. Mm-hmm. And that they're looking at, are they investing in innovation in innovative ways to, to grow their business, um, partnering with Baylor and the brick and helping them create new opportunities too, and looking at, um, new product development and testing and looking at new ways in which they can new, new, um, markets for their business too. Right. So I think those are the things that are on, on my mind when it comes to how are we going to have this insurance policy of sorts for our community rolling forward. That That's definitely one of the takeaways of, of our whole discussion. It, it yeah. has evolved over time. And if you stop evolving or you think you've made it, something bad's going to happen, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, uh, there's probably very few of those companies. I can only think of a few on my hands that were here at the beginning of the 1900s mm-hmm. that are still around. Yeah. Um, yeah, and if they're here, they're not doing the same thing. They, yeah, they've yeah. evolved. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. Well, this was great. Yeah. Chris, anything you wanted to get in that we didn't, we talked too much and didn't let you? No, I think in? y'all did, y'all did a great job. I, I walked away lear- uh, learning something new today too. So. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, it was great having you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me.
Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been a Rogue Media Network production. Thank you.